I say you just give me a few minutes. Um, I've been, every week I come up, I have usually some kind of a topic of society, what's going on in our world. And then I have a scripture that I feel pertains to that and guides us in the way God wants to follow, to live, to be an example. Last couple weeks, and I'm not a news guy, so I'm not most always in tune with everything. Um, but as I go through the world, I do experience things that are going on. So I get I get it that way. I don't watch all the news out there. But I'm a sports guy, so I do watch a lot of sports stuff. Well, the last couple weeks, if you don't realize this, those two worlds have really crashed together. Um, what is going on in the sports world, the protests, the things that are being spoke out now has been engulfed into mainstream society. The news outlets are picking that up all talking about it, and I just feel like I need to address that. It's been very heavy on my mind. It's been very heavy on my heart. Uh, some of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that I respect your opinion and your thoughts on those ideas, many of you are in here today. I've had conversations with other brothers and sisters in Christ, even family members that are brothers and sisters in Christ. Co-workers, many of you, many of you may already have had those conversations as well. But when I do talk about those Topics and ideas. Usually, I'm 100% clear on what the Bible and God is telling me and what's right and wrong to do. I cannot tell you that I have that answer today exactly. I'm still searching. That's why it's been so heavy on my heart. What is the right thing? Do we protest? Do we raise up and protest against what's going on and say one way or the other? I don't have that 100% answer. So. You have a different view that I, I'm not there. I'm not saying yours is wrong or mine's right because I don't even have that fully figured out. I've been searching and praying. I can't remember a time in the Bible that God protests. My mind many years goes immediately to the money changer tables flipping in the temple, but that wasn't a protest. That was a much different thing. I can't think of a time. I know people protest against Christ, right? We know the Israelites, they, the Jews protested against Christ. Pharisees, they went after him, but I don't remember him protesting that. So I don't know, maybe you have that, maybe you found a biblical, if you did, please tell me, because I, I just haven't come up with it. But if you see the article, our uh, newsletter Wednesday, I talk about this. Um, all this stuff that's going on, some people say we're starting to head into the end times again. Maybe it's going to be a civil war, another civil war. I don't know, I don't have the answer. But it reminded me of a time when I was at Word of Life, Bible Institute up in Springwood. Um, I was saved one year, saving me a little bit, almost 20 years ago. <laughs> uh, one year I was saved, I was discipled, and then I went to the Bible Institute. And one of my very first classes I had was eschatology with the man who wrote the Bible, Dr. Charles Wilson. Just kidding. He had a study Bible. Everyone had one. It was all arranged. Henry MacArthur, that was in the day. Anyways, we had eschatology with Dr. Wire. Um, I just remember, like, wow. Five days of eschatology, which is the study of the end times, is not enough. So I can't tell you that I have all the answers or know everything even now about the end times. But what I can tell you, I walked away with that day. I mean, I was only one year being removed from the world, saved, learning, discipled. I just had a brief stint in the Marine Corps. Very short time of service, had family members all through the service, loved our country. I mean, that was, I was all about it at that time as a young man. 
And uh, 911 is just right around the corner. Let me show you a little bit about that. Right around the corner. And I remember leaving that class, not understanding everything, but realizing the great and mighty USA, the red and white and blue, the land of the free, home of the brave, it's not mentioned. We're not in the end times. According to what I learned, there's no power from the great mighty West coming over to the East having anything to do with the outcome of what happens. If you study that, I mean, you would know that we're not mentioned. We have no weight on the end times and what God has for the future when he says he comes back. We're not part of it. I'm thinking, wow. What happens to us? I mean, at that time, I think 20 years ago, U.S. was, we were it. We were the bomb. I mean, we were the best country. And I think you can agree with me, we've kind of gone down a little bit. It's not quite the most powerful nation anymore. These things are chaotic. So what happens to us? Now, I'm going to give you my opinion. Like I said, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I just had an overwhelming feeling, even way back then, and I still feel that it's kind of trending right now, is we take ourselves out. We crumble from within. We just fall apart. Technology enters in more ways to sin, and it reminds me kind of what happened to the great and mighty Roman. You know, the emperor gets removed, and uh, all the societal sins that were underlaid behind the mega empire of Rome, once you remove the picture of the emperor, right, because this all falls in line, I promise. If you give me a few seconds, I will line this all up, especially with Brother Bill that he taught us two weeks ago. He and I have just seen our messages just seem to fall in line. Bill was speaking about the, the powers of old, right? Shaping the course of society through Israel, the, you know, the, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, the Assyrians, all this. This is where I'm at right now, so just bear with me for a second, and I promise I'll link it all together. I, I was just, what becomes of us? You know, Rome, same thing. They had an emperor. And you knew, even when God took out the, the, the tribe, the kings of Judah, when there was a godly king that came up, they were no longer on the throne. When there was a bad king taken out, right? You know if that was an ungodly king. He's only looking at one God. But when a nation of people represent an ungodly way, it doesn't come to light as fast as one God, right? So when you remove the king of the emperor of Rome, you saw the underlaying of Political corruption, homosexuality, uh, crazy uh, social like lifestyles that were going on under the back burners of the emperor. It's not any different than us right now. Homosexuality isn't new. Historic history repeats itself. It's cyclical. So that's kind of where my my mind is when I'm telling you. I don't know what's going to happen to us, but I think it's something like that. Something very similar to what happened to them. So. What I'm, what I'm asking you guys to think about is what brought them there? Pride. And you see, my message showed up today, the I and pride coming from Jordan Paul. Like I said, I won't tell you that I exactly have the answer of what we need to do, but I will say, be careful of letting the social things distract us from our mission. Our mission is to what? Our mission is to our mission is to lead more people to Christ. If you want to affect the change in what's going on right now, um, the, 
respect of our country, the protests or anything like that. If you want to make it a race thing, I'm not on that train, but if you want if you want to make a difference, I don't think it's protesting. I think it's we need to lead more people to Christ. I think that's the answer. But again, I'm not saying I, I know exactly which way I'm called to go right now. You know I, I that is my mission, so I'm going to stick with that. And I'm going to continue to search for the Bible, through the Bible, what God would want me to do. Because it's going to get worse. There's going to be more protests. There's going to be more arguments. There's going to be more disagreements. So, just pray for our country. Pray for what we should do, but make sure we don't let that distract us from what we're supposed to do. Because we're no different than those other great nations back in the day of the time of the Bible, the Babylonians, the Medes, the, the Assyrians, the Medes and the Persians. They were the bomb. They were the best, biggest nation at that time. And they fell. We're going to see, as an example, linking that all together, what took one of the major ones down in their times. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah, chapter 14. And we're going to look exactly what Joel was talking about two weeks ago, about the fall of one of the greatest empires at that time, one of the biggest storms in the flesh of the Israelites, the Babylonians. And like I already kind of spoiled over I feel the cause is pride. So we're going to look at that today. So if you have your Bibles there, 14, chapter 14, follow along. I'm going to actually read a few verses and then describe kind of what's going on there. A little different than what I normally do by reading the whole text in the Bible. We'll do a little different today. So we see verse 1, where the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel, will set them in their own land, and sojourners will join them and will, will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captives and rule over those who oppressed them. So the Lord's promising... We see here that Israel, all of Israel was rebellious. All the times they rebelled against God's truth and his ways, and his, through their sin and prideful attitudes, God still chooses them. He still brings them back again. He takes them back, even if it seemed for a time that he refused them. Because as they're going through that, as they were grabbed by Babylonian, as they were held in captive, and we see them in Egypt, it happened that way before. Um, with Pharaoh during the time of Abraham, we, Moses, I mean, we, we've seen that before. So they might feel that at that point, God's refusing their mercy, uh, having mercy on them, or he has forgotten. But he has promised them this or this And even through that time, through their struggles, his people, again, they gained humility. That's what happens when we go through trials like that, right? They got a little too big for their britches. They started placing things ahead of him. Uprises as a big nation, ungodly nation. They grab them up and take captive. They have to go through some trials and tribulation. And again, once there's a little bit more humility again, the Lord brings them back. That's what we see going on. This is a prophecy of Isaiah about what's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. The rule become the ruler. Interesting twist, right? The people who are down then become the people who are up. We've seen that in scripture before, haven't we? 
yourself second, I am second, that mentality. Those who were the least will be the greatest. Babylonian didn't, they didn't know how to do that. They were all about war. The I mentality. It was funny because I was I was thinking about this, like I said, it's been on my brain for the last couple of weeks. I got in the car, I was driving, I forget where exactly I was going, normally I'm 88 ones on, and it's usually Christian music. There was a sermon. I've never heard sermons on there before. Maybe I'm just not that kind. And I caught the, the pastor, I don't even know who it is, the king, who's in the middle of it. And all that caught my ear, he said, we're in a nation of selfies. Everything is about selfies. Nation of selfies, that's what he called us. Selfie sticks, all about eyes, selfies. Me, 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 me. When we should be in a time of selfie-less. It's not a real word, but that's kind of what his point was. And I was like, that's interesting way to look at this. That's kind of where my mind is. The I mentality of what pride of a great country can make that. But as we know, as we will see, pride comes before the fall. The rule become the rulers. What kind of statement does that ring true to the rest of the lands at this time? Actually, like I said, this is prophesied, so this hasn't happened. But what kind of truth or fear should that bring true to? Do you think the emperor at that time, the king of Babylon, he said, yeah, that's not going to happen to me? The world has come up with this mentality of what? Too big not to fail? Yeah. Too big not to fail. The whole banking industry, I'm in that. So, that always reminds me to think of that big, too big not to fail. Like I said, we're not in the end times. Obviously, somebody takes this out. We're not too big to fail. There's going to be somebody bigger, or is it, like I said, maybe it's going to come from self-imposed destruction from within. I don't have the answer. Just have a theory. There's probably many more theories out there. But the rule become the rule. When the Lord has given you rest, so I'm on verse 4 now. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up his taunt against the king of Babylonia. Babylonia. How the oppressed has ceased, the insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with the unceasing blows. The ruler, ruler of the nation in anger with unrelenting unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were laid low, no wooded cutter comes up against us. The kings of Babylon, this is actually not necessarily about Belshazzar or um, Nebuchadnezzar. This is not mentioned which king of Babylon. This is Babylonian king always. So it's all the different kings. Like I said, this, this is a prophecy, so it's not speaking exactly which king this is all going to happen to. It's just the mentality of the kings, of the selfish, prideful, ruling nation of Babylon. So the great oppressor is what they were known. When, it, when a people group is taken captive, we know like the Israelites during Pharaoh, right? They were taken captive. They were put to slavery, right? They helped build those um, blocks. The clay and the uh, wheat shafts go in, and they make the blocks, and they put them in the temples and the walls, and that's what they're used for. A lot of times they're put into slavery. Moses came, came and rectified that. We see that. We know that part. When they take a nation into slavery, they use them up. 
They use all the resources. They don't leave nothing behind. Those nations would just use them all up and pretty much sometimes let them go back over time and just eat them up. And eventually they just kind of return and they go and get a new group of people, fresh, younger bodies, and they enslave another nation. And then they use that nation up. Not Babylon. Not Babylon. Babylon crushed its people. Their name was the oppressor. That was what they were known as. They chewed them up. They didn't spit them back out. There was nothing left. They took everything. They used up all the people. They didn't bring them into their society over time and make them part of them. That also happened when they, when societies were overtaken by another nation. They sometimes would just bleed into it and become that type of people. That also wasn't uncommon during that time. But not with the Babylonians. They just ruined them. They crushed them. They didn't want to integrate them into their lifestyles. They looked at them as tools. They just used them all up, chewed them up, and spit them out. There was nothing left. They didn't even, most of the time, the people they enslaved didn't have. There was nothing left to go home to. But Israel did have a small remnant left. So this, in a way, is what they're talking about. The other, there's a couple other names for them. So they're known as the oppressors. They have a scepter of the rulers. One of the commentators puts it like this. Um, he, he says that they, um, he made the world Babylonians, the king, one of the kings. It's not exactly known who. He made the world as wilderness, as he, if he had taken pride in being the plague of the generations and the curse of mankind. That's how they viewed the Babylonian Empire. The plague of the world, the curse of mankind, they just ruled with an iron fist. So the falling of that nation was heard. The bigger are bigger, weaker this term for it, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's number two. The fall of Babylonian was felt by everybody. The whole world recognized, wow. This great nation, the ones who rule with an iron fist, the scepter of oppression, they're not too big to fail. They're going to fall. And when they fall, they're going to fall hard. Real hard. We're going to see what that looks like. Follow along with me in verse 9. Just kidding. Not really. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to, break, to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth Rises from they rise from their thrones, all who are kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, You too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp was brought down to shield, the sound of your harps. The maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. Wow. I mean that's what's that's what he calls. The Babylonians. Interesting thing is, the bigger are they, the harder they fall. The fall of Babylon is felt by everybody. When they, um, I'm sorry, I already said that. Even the greatest, number three, even the greatest of the world leaders suffer the same fate as their victims. That's what we see here. The dead, the already people in Sheol, the conquered people will rise up and laugh. You're no better than we are. You find yourself in the same fate as us. 
took a little longer for you to get there, but you're no better. Bill put it, Bill said it two weeks ago. It's like we're it's like a vapor. We're like the vapor. Have you ever thought about that? It's a vapor. We're not promised to be here forever. The United States of America is no, it's not going to be here. I already said that. They're not going to be around in, in the end times. We we think. We're the, the queen on the chessboard. Everything else moves around us. We're not. The world is going to have their eyes open, <coughs> especially when a great nation like Babylon falls. The remnants of all that shakes through the entire world at that time. Right? The ripple effect. I think that might happen with the United States of America, too. I mean, we certainly think of ourselves, everything else in the world revolves around us. It's not that way. It's just not that way. We're like a vapor. We're a vapor. The Lord has, it's not about us. We've been talking about faith, right? Last month, two months, we've been talking about faith. It's not about us. Don't let that stuff distract you from your mission. Yes, we're fighting a war, but our mission is different. Our mission is different. You are a Christian, your mission is much different than what the rest of the world views. Important. Don't lose sight of that. This wall will be so big that even already the dead say, Wow, you're no better than this. Yeah, you're here too. Your pride will be so great that the punishment will be that you do not even get to the grave to mark your remembrance. Their pride was so big, Babylonian's pride was so big. God's idea is you're not, we're not even going to mark you with a headstone. Here lies the greatest nation. Nothing. Nothing. You're going to lay on a bed of maggots. Your blankets, your cover, your casket cover will be gone. That's what he has in store for the pride. That's what he's going to do to one of the greatest nations. That's what he was going to do to one of the greatest nations back then. A nation that he did move around like a chess piece to bring testing to his people. Right? And let them oppress his people to realize that they let go of God. They weren't relying on God. They weren't relying that he will answer the promises he promised them. We saw what happens when you take power in your hands, people. We talked about that with um, Abraham and Sarah. When you take things in your own hands, it doesn't ever figure out like you want it to. Never does. That's Sarah. It doesn't work out like you planned. Now this next section, verses 12. Before I read it, I want you to make a reference to Satan here. It's not talking about Satan. It's talking about referencing the pride that even began the fall of Satan. Satan was the greatest angel in God's army. Right? He was the greatest angel in God's army, and he wanted to walk. His pride took him where he thought he should be. Number one. He should be the man. But we all know what happened with that. So it's interesting. Recognize the language. I'll make sure I touch on this when we read this next chapter. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of God. That is the nicknames for Satan. They're not, they're not talking directly about him. How you are cut down to the ground. You laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend. To heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. 
will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like most high. I. I is what? Right? It's I. The I in pride cometh before the fall. I, I took a little pride in that statement I made. Yes, I think you captured my thunder. I thought that was pretty crafty. I did. Especially <laughs> to somebody who doesn't know English or anything like that. I like to think of funny words like excuses. That's not. So, right, I mean, is our world today not centered around the I? When you protest something, again, I don't have a lot of experience about this, but when you protest something, when you pick a side, are you not putting yourself into it? Are you not making it personal? I I, I told you this, I think, before. I joined the Lions Club in my neighborhood. And I did that for outreaching, for my church plan, being part of the community, getting myself out there, getting to know more of what's going on. Because I don't pay attention to the news that much. Because you can't believe everything you read or see. But everything on the internet is right. Just ask the internet. Um, so I joined the community on purpose to get myself out there. So if you want to know about what's going on in the needs of the community, you got to get into the community to learn that, right? So that's what I did. First meeting. We're talking about bringing the Boy Scouts back in. Well, there's a wedding couple in our Lions Club, and they didn't want anything to do with that. They're like, if you bring the Boy Scouts of America back in here, we're not going to be a part of that because, you know, they don't like us. They hate us. They spoke out against the LGBT community. Well, that's what you're doing. You're speaking out against the Boy Scouts. I met a lady in the bank who said she'll never eat a Chick-fil-A. Ever. I just caught it in my car. Love Chick-fil-A, right? And she's like, oh, oh, I never ate there. Oh, you don't eat there? Why not? The food's great. Well, I'll never eat there, she said. I was like, oh, I think I opened something I didn't really want to open at that point, but I did catch it. And she's like, well, my best friend's son's gay, and I'll never eat there. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't think about it. But that's a statement. You're picking a side. You're choosing. It's, it, people, we can't fight hate with hate. That's what it boils down to. That's where I'm at on my soapbox. You can't fight hate with hate. When you pick a side, that's what you're doing. Um, I have people who say, you know, they feel they're doing the right thing. Again, I don't know exactly the answer on what God would want me to do about protesting and stuff. I just don't know. Um, but I just think, you don't want to fight hate with hate. Um, as you're going to see, if you read in the newsletter Wednesday, I had a list of the signs of pride. They're not mine. I got them from a news article, so don't give me credit for that. Writing those. Um, there's a list of pride actually written out to clergy, to men in ministry, of what falls of men in ministry. Because when you put yourself up on the greatest pedestal, which there's no greater, greater honor than being a pastor ordained by God to lead his people. I'm not that yet. I'm aspiring to do that. That is a great honor. When you get yourself up there, what happens? And there's a target on your back. Everyone's attacking you. You put yourself out there. When you make a statement, when you pick a side, when you choose, you're making a person. That's where the pride tends to start to fester and reveal itself. Like number, number four is the answer of the title of the sermon. The I in pride comes before the fall. This is not talking about Satan here referencing 
that his selfish mindset was around before the fall was even known. It was around before his fall. This mentality was around before the fall of Babylon. It's around before the fall of whatever society is next. I mean, that's us. I don't know. But that's where we're heading. I hope you see it. I, I feel like that's kind of where we're heading in that mentality. The I, the selfies, right? It's all about me. People put their life minute by minute on the internet. Like, that's crazy to me. Um, pulling into Arby's, pulling into school, whatever, you know, they have their whole mind. It's all about them. And just be safe when you do those things and really put a target on yourself. Um, he finishes this up. Again, I'm not doing the whole chapter now. I'm sorry if I, if I confused you. We'll go on to verse 23. 21 through 23 is our last point. Prepare, prepare the slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they raise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with the cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut them off from Babylon and Maine and remnant, descendants of the prosperity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and the pools of water, and I will sweep it with a broom of destruction, declares the Lord. Look, that, that's enough to say this. No name, no more. He's blotting them out. I mean, their, their kids are not even going to go on. Sometimes when these big nations fall, they raise up a little bit later. They don't become the greatest nation that they were before. Or, like I said, if, you, if you've heard what Bill was saying, and I'm not a historian like Bill, but the Medes and the Persians, those were separate armies that then can kind of came together and forged an even that bigger nation, the Medes and the Persians. Um, the Persians possessed the Medes. That's what happened. And then they kind of jointly started sweeping across the land at that time. So sometimes these great nations lived on in a different way. Not the, not the Babylonians. They are going to suffer even a worse thing, the idea that he's going to block them completely out of the name. Their, their kids are going to be getting old. He's going to take them completely off. It's almost like the one who you shall not say his name, the whole Harry Potter thing. You don't say his name because fear the name, right? He's just going to blot it right out. We don't even care about the name. Boom, they're nothing. That's where he's going with this. So, like, as we're going through, kind of, what is all this for us? I already kind of laid out the idea on my soapbox, which I forgot to sit down, sorry. I wasn't on that whole time. <coughs> What's the lesson here? Because the, these lands, the way these people oppressed and devastated, they're not exactly experiencing that, right? We don't have, you know, money's not going to come over and save us, is it? I, I don't know. I don't think that's, war's not fought like that anymore. It's like a little video game behind closed doors, right? We just push a button and drop a bomb. That's kind of how war's fought now. What is this for us? What, what do we do with this information? Application piece for me is summed up in Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humble. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The world doesn't understand that. Christ continually proved his 
During his three and a half years on the earth, he put other people before himself. I mentioned this before. King David. King David sinned a lot. He made a lot of mistakes. And sometimes we level those mistakes. I spoke out of those. You don't, you don't put your levels too high. We would say, wow, he created, he, he, he called, he did one of the greatest sins. He committed adultery. Right? When he took Bathsheba. When then he plotted to kill her husband and get rid of him. It's like a drama. You know, it's like, oh, let's get him knocked out so I can have my leg. That was wicked what he did. And yet the Lord says, this is a man after my own heart. What's he referring to? Is humility. None of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But what really puts us different than the world is our ability to recognize that and sin, ask forgiveness from God, humble ourselves. And if we as a nation don't humble ourselves, God's going to do it. I don't know how, I don't know when, but he's going to do it. Look what he did to Israel over and over and over again. He's going to humble us. And I see us following in Rome's footsteps. I really did. I mean, look, 20, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't talk about homosexuality. It's not that it wasn't going on. It was in the backdrop. It was just hush hush. Now it's everywhere. You can't turn on a TV without seeing a couple as that example. Some major television show. This is, our society is accepting more and more and more. Maybe some of you think, wow, this is the end. We're heading into the end times. I don't know. If we're not, then it's going to get even worse. It's going to get even more worse. So, one thing I know, how we make sure we don't fall into this trap that the world lays out before us is we make sure we humble. It's not about me. Everything I've given to me has been from God. It's not what I did. I don't deserve anything. That's the mentality we need to hang on to. It's not about us. We are not the greatest. We are not. There is a name above all names. Amen? There is a name above all names. We must set that in there. We have to. Or the Lord is going to humble us. He's going to. If that list is up here, um, I want to just call attention to a couple of those. That list? Look, church, I mean, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time. I didn't bring my phone, so I don't know where I'm at. But the first point, I mean, insecurity. Again, like I said, this is written to ministry leaders. This is written to clergy. Um, but research reveals clergy is one of the most insecure of all professional groups. Insecurity is a root of many unhealthy and ungodly behaviors. It proves us it proves us to want to lavish praise and attention of others too much. Much of pride is motivated out of one's unmet need for self-worth. And there's the answer. Finding one's identity and the security of Christ is a must to avoid pride. The world's going to have pride because they don't have Christ. If you want to make a difference, lead someone to Christ. That's it. That's our mission. That is our mission. Number two, 
the need to be right. <laughs> uh, wow, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on any toes. It's funny because I was speaking to Patty and Wayne before. I mean, look, as you read this list, you're going to think, hey, that's my spouse. Hey, that's me. Hey, well, that one's my stuff. I'm not going to lie. I think that way, too. Um, Encounter um, <laughs> someone who has a hard time being wrong. That's hard. That's hard. Again, that's the humility of knowing that I might have this idea that I think I want to bring attention to racial equality in the world, and I think this is the right way to do it. Is kneeling and the anthem the right way? I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't have the answer. But what is what needs to happen if I have an issue with that? We'll talk to the people I feel are not being fair. Let's open a dialogue. But if you open a dialogue, you must be humble enough to see it from their side. Are we willing to do that? And and there's going to be another one that hits with basically just like this. Any good evangelist knows you can never argue anybody into heaven. You cannot do it. There's going to be another one that's argumentative, but it falls on both knees. You cannot argue someone into heaven. If they do not see how the answer is Christ, you can't, you're not going to be able to debate it to get them there. The Spirit of the Lord has to soften their heart, or you're going to do more damage. Because they're going to see that the need to be right. It's prideful. And they have it too, because they can't, they're not willing to see your side of it. But are you willing to meet them where they're at? That's what Christ is so good at doing. Number three. I'm sorry, I didn't finish all that. Um, oh, sorry. Can you back that up? I apologize. <laughs> so, Denise, you're right. It's a hard time to be wrong. There is a symptom of pride. The need to be right prevents one from appropriately evaluating issues as well as themselves. Evaluating today's issues, looking at it from both parties involved. That, that's What's being failed in the world right now is because of pride. A person who needs to be right has exalted, has an exalted investment in him or herself and thinks that she or she knows better than others. In religious circles, the need to be right is frequently manifested through always saying, well, God told me, or God showed me. Let's go to a Bible verse and stay involved. God told me this. Where's that at? That's where you got to be careful. Being argumentative, same idea. Move to number four for time two. More investment in being heard than hearing. If you're going to talk to somebody, even about spiritual things, let's keep it on that. You're going to go witness to somebody, and you're going to meet them where they're at. Don't you need to know where they're at? Sometimes that includes a very long life story of all the hardships. Sometimes that's taxing on us. And sometimes the person that you're relating to, that's all they wanted to hear. Because we talked about this before. The answer is Jesus, right? When, you're, when you become a Christian, your life is perfect. No. Don't promise them that. Don't give them that glimpse. That is not what's going to happen. But the one promise they get when they get Jesus is what? They will never go out of the line. That's what you need to embrace. But make sure you hear them. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're talking to somebody and halfway through what you're saying, they're already giving you the answer? Or what they think is the next piece of that conversation? That means they're not really listening to you. Or if they ask you a question of something that you're already saying, 
And you were going to answer that, but you didn't get there. You're not listening to me. I do that too. Remember, we're, we must be invested in hearing more than being heard. I think we have two more. Clip number five. Anger, right? This one's pretty easy. Very obvious. Anger is a self-justifying emotion. This means that the nature of anger is prompt us to justify our position and blame another for the wrongdoing. Justification of self leads to denial of your own complicity, complacency, sorry, or wrongdoing. The scripture warns that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. An individual who is angry a lot is suffering from pride. That's one of uh, the Lord's um, measurements of a, of a spiritual leader. You may not feel anger, slow to speak, because he's listening. I want to tell you, I, I have to work on that. I have to work on being quick to anger sometimes, and I have to be slow to speak. I'm a talker, you all know that. Um, sometimes I just got to shut my mouth and listen. Because I did learn that in the business world. When I talk to somebody about their financial position, all I got to do is ask a couple um, open ended questions, and they shut your mouth. They tell you everything. But if you ask some questions and it's just one word answers, do you do this? Yes, yes, it, it, that's boring. But if you let them talk, you usually get a lot more information. That's the sales piece. So. Um, and the last one I wanted to point out was number nine. Receiving correction but not changing. Again, I think, uh, this was written to ministry leaders. I think this, is, this can relate to the world. I think I can personally, I know I can personally relate to it. And it'll lead you as well. I work with a man who often would receive my correction and say thank you for the feedback, but would never change. This is too this this is too a form of pride. The individual was placating me and no. Sorry. I think it's like people pleasing. There you go, sorry. Anyways, it's basically people pleasing. Okay. People pleasing me and telling me I want to hear. What I want to hear, not really taking my feedback to heart, is insecurity and fear prevent fear preventing him from truly changing. How many people would they want to hear that they get the information, right? Um, the world's really good too. We we call that political speech from speaking out of the left side and the right side. Politicians who answer one question one way to one group and one to the other. It's just telling the world what they want to hear. It's insecurity, it, it's pride. Um, but hopefully you you Read through the rest of that list. I didn't want to spend a ton of time on it. Um, but wow, I mean, the world to me is scary, where we're at, scary. Um, but again, I don't want to make it about myself. It's not about us. So it's about how we, when situations come up, it's not about the trials and tribulations. It's about how we handle it. It's the best example of what Christ did. How did Christ handle those situations? That's what I'm still trying to evaluate through. What was Christ's example when he met situations like that? People, he, look, he had arguments with the Pharisees, right? He would tell them the truth, and they didn't hear it. How did he respond? How did the disciples respond when they were being challenged? When the truth is they were speaking was being challenged? That's my challenge to us, is to go and find it. You will know what the right thing to do is. I don't know, I don't want to stand up here and tell you what the right way to handle protesting and not be a part of that, because I don't have that answer for myself right now. I'm still really searching through that. 
But I will, I will, I will want to say one last thing when it comes to that topic. The last thing I'm going to say about the topic of protesting and disrespecting the country, the worst is yet to come. I said that part. But if you find yourself being more enraged about someone disrespecting the country, ask yourself this question. You're more enraged about somebody kneeling for the anthem and the flag than you do for someone that takes God's name in vain. When your priorities are really messed up. I had, that's the question I'm telling, I'm telling myself. I work in a worldly environment. I hear JC and GD all the time. Am I ready to go to a verbal battle when I hear that? No, I don't. I'm not going to tell you I've taken that on. I haven't. I don't know how to navigate that in a worldly environment yet. But there are people online, everywhere else, going verbally to war over people disrespecting our flag and our country. And there are Christians that are doing it, that are ready to go to battle verbally about this topic, but we're not as enraged about someone taking the name, the Lord's name in vain. That's the highest form of disrespect you can get to our God. And when I was in the Marine Corps, we, at the end of every night, what did we say? God, country, Corps. That was the God, country, Corps. That's how we ended every prayer, every song, God, country, Corps. Yeah, God, country, Corps. You're elevating the country above God. Could that be the undoing of a prideful nation? I don't know. I'm just saying we have to challenge ourselves with that mindset. Are you ready? Are, are you in more enraged about someone disrespecting God's name than our national anthem? That's the last thing I'm saying. Um, but here, church, honestly, like I said, let's not derail ourselves from the mission at hand. That's the most important thing. If we're going to make any kind of change. We're going to win more souls for Christ. That's, that's got to be a need. That has to be first. In the priority list of priorities, that's got to be number one. That's the best way we can serve our God's name. That's the best way we can make sure it's re uh, re respected, is to tell everybody about the truth. And you're, if you're here today and you do not know God's love, God is unselfish. He says, have this mind which was also in me, Christ Jesus even though he was God, he did not take equality to the level of God. He humbled himself, yet to a place of death on the cross. It's the most humiliating way to die back then. And he died for us. He humbled himself to the lowliest position, carried his cross, was hung on the cross between two sinners, two thieves, and he died. He came for death for you, so you can have eternal life. If you don't know that, Please speak to me what that means so that we can have it. It's free. All this is accepting the fact that you are a sinner. There's no righteous, no not one. God is the highest level of position. We are his servants. You don't know him. You always talk to me. Scott that was down here is one of our deacons. There are a few more people in here that will be able to tell you the truth. But that's the first. If you want to join the battle, you got to get on the team. Get on Team Jesus, right? Got to do that first.